you, Miss Dana. I got it. All right, will you please pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word that you give us. We thank you for the, uh, the story that is uh, it, really such an important story for us to know uh, because it teaches us important things about who Jesus is as a king uh, and who it is that brings him honor and glory. Uh, help us as we consider this last story um, to not just to hear to be more informed, but help us to listen uh, so that we can be formed as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, real quick, uh, I totally forgot to set up the meal train, so it will be set up by the end of today, but if you go on the app, it's not there right now. Not that you should be on your phones, we're in a church right now. Um, let me encourage you, however, if you have a Bible, to grab a Bible, because we're going to be looking at some things here, and it'd be great to be able to have it right there in front of you. Uh, what we've been doing over the last uh, several weeks of Christmas is looking at stories where a divine messenger comes to an ordinary person in order to bring them good news of great joy. We looked at Mary, we looked at Joseph, we looked at the shepherds, and in those cases, it was angels that came to bring a news that these individuals needed to hear. Today is a little different because today the divine messenger is not an angel, it is a star. Uh, and it's also different because the people who are receiving the message are not from within Israel, they're actually from outside of Israel. And uh, we're gonna see in a minute, they're, they're kind of in some respects the last people you would expect to be given this kind of message, magi from the East. There are uh, real political ramifications to what is happening here back in Jesus's day because what the magi are wanting us to see is that Jesus is being revealed to us as a king, uh, as a king who deserves worship, as a king who deserves adoration. And I'm using that word intentionally. We're gonna look at that word in a little bit. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're just going to work our way through the story. And, and, and honestly, like in some respects, to be able to understand the story, it's actually really helpful to get the cultural backdrop to understand. So, so um, part of what we're going to do is we're just going to explore the four principal characters of this story. And then in the last point, we're going to bring it all together for you to see what I think is uh, the main point of this passage for us. So we're going to look, first of all, at the Magi, then we're going to look at the star, then we're going to look at Herod, and then we're going to look at the, 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 uh, the religious leaders, uh, and then we're going to look at the adoration of the Magi and what that means for us. So uh, if you look at verses 1 and 2, what you see immediately, right, just you've got this, these, these individuals called Magi from the East, are coming to Jerusalem because a star has told them, has guided the way for them. So obviously, like, the first question is like, okay, who are the Magi and what's up with the star? So the Magi are really, um, they're kind of interesting, kind of weird in some respects, individuals. The Magi emerge in the ancient kingdom of Persia. Uh, they were astrologers, they were magicians, they were counselors. The Persian kings looked to the Magi to be their, uh, their advisors. The, they looked to the Magi to be 
their protectors. If you have any familiarity with uh, the book of Daniel found in the Old Testament, you might remember that in the book of Daniel, you had these individuals who were constantly causing Daniel problems. They actually end up getting Daniel thrown into the lion's den. Those were the magi of that particular day and time. Uh, Tom Holland is, uh, aside from being an amazing actor, a different Tom Holland, a uh, British historian, uh, wrote a book called Persian Fire. And in his book, he says this about the Magi. He says, the Magi were skilled in the art of keeping darkness at bay. These ritual experts provided vital reassurance to their countrymen. Why? Why did they provide vital reassurance? You see, in the Persian mind, they were very comfortable with something that we as Westerners are not so comfortable. They recognized that there were spiritual forces of darkness in the world. And so they looked to the Magi to be their defenders. It was, Holland goes on to say, it was the duty of the Magus, that's Magi is plural, Magus is, is a singular. It was the duty of the Magus to kill all dark creatures wherever he found them. So I started thinking, like, this is like, we don't have any kind of cultural touch point for something like this. Uh, and then I was, I was talking about it with Kate, and I was like, you know, the, the closest that I can think of a cultural touch point, and kids, this might be helpful for you, Adults, this might be helpful for you as well, uh, is if you remember the character Jafar in the Disney movie Aladdin, right? Now, I realize like we could go in some unhelpful directions with that, but, but if you think about who Jafar is, Jafar is this person, he is, uh, he, he, he is, he is a magician, right? He is, he is, he is uh, the king's most trusted advisor, right? Um, that is the kind of influence and role that a Magi had in the ancient world. And the point is that even like this is, you're talking about a pagan of pagans, completely antithetical to anything of following Yahweh. And yet, uh, as one commentator put it, even the most pagan of pagans may respond to Jesus if given the opportunity. And incidentally, right, we, like where on earth do the Magi even get this idea of there being a star and all of that? We don't know this, but some have supposed that it was actually Daniel as Daniel rose in prominence in, uh, in Babylon and the Persians came in, they took over, that it was Daniel's influence on the Magi uh, because remember, he comes to be second in control of the, of the kingdom, uh, that that's actually how the Magi even have a category for looking for a star that shows up. And so let's then talk about the star. Uh, so there's all kinds of, you, you read five books, you're going to get five different opinions on the star. Was it a constellation? Was it just a regular star? Was it something else? We just, on one level, we don't know. I'm going to tell you what I think in a second. But here's what we do know. What we do know for sure is that the, the star was God's way of summoning the Magi to Jerusalem. It was God's way of extending an invitation to them, and the Magi respond to the invitation. They take it up, and they go across, we don't know how far, but they travel across many, many miles in order to to find the source of the star. They know that this star is symbolic of the birth of a king and they want to go and find this king in order to bring him worship. Now, 
I think that this star is actually a manifestation of God's glory. And I think there's two reasons for it. First of all, uh, did you notice when Miss Dana read verse 9? She, it said this. It says that uh, after they'd heard, so the, the, you know, Herod comes and he's like secretly talking to them and, uh, and says, hey, I want to go worship this king as well. Let me know where he is. And then it says that after they talked to the king, they went on their way. And listen to this. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, normal stars don't do that kind of thing. Right? Uh, and, and so I, to me, as I read this, I'm like, yo, this is, there's something supernatural about this star. The second thing that to me makes me think like, okay, there's something more here than just a star in the sky, uh, is that if you read the beginning of the book of Matthew, there are a bunch of links back to the story of Moses. Okay? Remember, I've talked with you guys about this before, right? This idea that, that when you read the New Testament, it is constantly making hyperlinks back to things that have happened in the Old Testament. And that the more we understand the Old Testament, the more those links will jump off the page for us. I'm not going to go into all of the links that exist in the beginning of Matthew that connect us back to the story of Moses, but they're there. But here's the point. I think that if you think of one particular link, right, when Moses was leading the people of Israel in the wilderness, right, what guided them? A pillar of fire at night and cloud during the day. Who was the pillar of fire? Who was the pillar of cloud? It was Yahweh, right? And so I think that this idea of there being a supernatural uh, thing that is guiding you towards a destination is a link back to the story of Moses that is making us say, okay, something profound is happening here. The star is not your ordinary star. And then on top of that, not only was there a religious kind of connotation, but there was also a political connotation as well with the star. So last year, uh, I read this article in a magazine about this new book that had been published last year about the Magi. And, and I, I learned something that I didn't know. Um, so Evidently, right after Julius Caesar dies, Julius Caesar is before all of this stuff happening with Jesus, all right? So when Julius Caesar died, a star appeared in the sky, and everybody took the appearance of the star in the sky to mean that Julius Caesar wasn't just king, but that he was divine. And so what ended up happening was that in all of the Roman coins, you would have this star embalmed, not embalmed, uh, it, what's the when you press... And they, that uh, on the back of the coin, right? So, so think of it like this, right? Think of it in our context today, uh, and we're not as keyed into images as they were back then. Partly because we have so many images coming at us, right? But, but think about this, right? In our currency, think of the dollar bill, and in most dollar bills, if you look at the back, you've got that eagle that's holding that clutch of arrows, right? Where else do you see that symbol? Right? That's the seal of the President of the United States. Right? So the currency that we have, the dollar bill, has a, has a symbol on it that reinforces our political leader. 
right? The, the, the two come together in the same way. The star on the Roman coin said, we believe that a star is symbolic of royalty. And so then what happens? All of a sudden you've got, for all these Israelites that have this kind of cultural context that they understand, a guy showing up and saying, oh, not a guy, a caravan of wise men, of magi are showing up and they're saying, hey, there's the star in the sky and we're here because we want to worship the king that this star represents. And they would have been like, oh, wait a minute. Like they had a, they had a, a cultural context that you and I have lost that would have made them go, oh, something's happening. Which is why you then read Right, that everybody looking at Herod is like when they heard when Herod heard this, uh, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So here's the thing you have to know about Herod. Herod is a nasty, nasty, nasty man. Anybody that he thinks will get in the way of his kingdom, without hesitation. In fact. He killed his wife, his first wife, and three of his sons because he was afraid that they were trying to take the throne away from him. So, like, he's not worried about killing anybody to protect his political power. So put yourself, you're an average, you know, Israelite, you're in Jerusalem, you're minding your own business. All of a sudden, this caravan of magi come, and you probably know something about magi, right? And remember, like, you know, you've got this image of three and three camels. No, that's not, that's probably not at all what happened. We don't know how many magi there were, but I guarantee you that it wasn't only three people that traveled across the desert, right? We're talking about a caravan, you think of the presence that they bring. This was probably, right, we can probably assume with some certainty that this was a caravan of a lot of wealth. Again, at the risk of, of uh, overutilizing Aladdin illustrations this morning, right? Think of when Aladdin shows up at, um, what's the name of the city? It doesn't matter, right? When Aladdin shows up and the genie's done all of his stuff, right? So erase the genie, um, but, but think of just the opulence. Think of the, of the wealth. Think of the display of that caravan coming into the town. Uh, and, and, and that should be the image, right, of, of a caravan of magi arriving in Jerusalem. That in and of itself is going to make everybody go, what's going on here? And then they start talking about stars and kings. And everybody knows, man, Herod is not going to like this. And word gets to Herod, and Herod does what Herod does. And he's like, I got to go to my advisors, and I got to ask my advisors, what is up with all of this? And so that's what he does. He goes to the, to the chief priest, verse 4, and the teachers of the law, and he asks them, where is the Messiah to be born? And now don't miss this, right? They, they know exactly what to tell him. The, the, the religious priests uh, come and they say, oh, well, we know that the, 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 he is going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, and so they say that to Herod. Uh, and so Herod, being the wise and cunning ruler that he is, secretly calls the Magi 
and he gives them the information that they need. But, but he knows, like, these men, they don't know who he is, right? Everybody else knows who he is, but they don't know who he is. Uh, and so he does this secretly, perhaps, because he's trying to manipulate the Magi to do what he wants them to do, which is what? To divulge the location. Tell me where he is so that I might worship him. I'm not going to worship him. I'm going to kill him. That's Herod. That is Herod's plot 100%. How do we know that? Because we, you get to the end of the story, right? We're told that, that the Magi were warned not to go back to Herod, so they'd go a different way. They would have gone a much longer route because the fastest way back home was to go through Jerusalem. They would have had to go south and then go out towards the coast and come up along the coast. They would have added weeks probably to their journey to do this. Herod discovers that he has been duped, that he's been double-crossed, and what does he do? Verse 16 tells us that he commands the murder of every boy in Bethlehem and its vicinity under the age of two. Herod does not care about human life. In fact, December 28th, is known as the Day of the Holy Innocence in the Christian calendar. This is the prayer that the church has prayed for centuries on the day that we remember the evil of Herod and acknowledge that our world is filled with evil tyrants who do not care about human life, the kinds of kings that Jesus came to take power away from. This is the prayer. We remember today, O oh God, the slaughter of the holy innocents, in Bethlehem by King Herod, receive, we pray, into the arms of your mercy all innocent victims, and by your great might frustrate the design of evil tyrants and establish your rule of justice, love, and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Those are the characters. Right? You need all that context to understand what is about to happen. Because what's about to happen is that this group of magi, this caravan comes, they meet with Herod, they're done meeting with Herod, the star shows up again, and the star takes them to the place that they want to go, and finally we see the adoration of the magi. And I picked that word intentionally, because if you Google adoration of the magi, right, what you're going to find is that that is the title of a lot of the art that, you know, think of like Da Vinci, uh, uh, Bosch, Rubens. I mean, think of like all of the great artists that you might know, right? Um, more than likely, they have all at some point, most of them have at some point depicted the scene that we call the adoration of the magi. And the word adoration, it's an old usage of the word, but the word adoration means to worship, right? This is what we sing when we sing, uh, O come all ye faithful. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That's what they're doing, right? They're coming and they are adoring him. They are worshiping him. These, these uh, astrologer, magician, you know, uh, counselors to pagan kings are coming in order to reveal to us God's chosen king. January 6th 
is the Feast of Epiphany. The word epiphany means uh, that something is revealed or that something is manifest or that something is shown for what it is or somebody is shown for who or she is. Uh, and, and so every January 6th, churches around the world uh, have, and cultures around the world, you know, I've shared with you in the past, I grew up in Puerto, I was born in Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico, El Dia de los Reyes is a legit party, right? There are parades. We have all kinds of art just dedicated to this particular day in the French church, in the, uh, in the Mexican church, uh, in, in, even in our own country, in Louisiana, right, in New Orleans. That This particular day is a day of significant religious, uh, has a significant religious experience, Right? Why? Because this is the day that we say this God was revealing through Magi, his king. God through Magi said, hey, this is what I am doing in the world. And so the question that I think that Matthew 2 is posing for us the, the question that I believe Matthew 2 wants us to ask ourselves is how am I responding to God's chosen king? The king who will, who will rightly take away the Herods of the world. The king who comes uh, in order to bring, as the prayer says, to bring God's might and justice and peace how am I going to respond to that king? And the story gives us three options. Right? We can, we can respond like Herod. And throw our fists up and, uh, and, and fight. We can respond like the Magi. Right? To bring our adoration. But let me tell you what my concern is. And this really, this struck me. Yesterday, you know, you, I do like Saturday is my, uh, my like final preparation, you know, starting to like mark up the sermon. And this is like when I'm like, I've been letting it simmer in my head for a couple of days. Uh, and usually on Saturday, right, it's when like I start like, I'm not going to say this, I'm going to say that. And occasionally on Saturday, all of a sudden like this bolt of lightning hits me. I'm like, how did I miss this? That happened to me yesterday. What I realized yesterday as I was going through the sermon, it's like, man, you know what? Honestly, the, the response that we have to be most careful of is the response of the religious leaders. The religious leaders heard about the star. They knew what the star meant. When Herod came to them and said, hey, can you please explain to me what on earth is going on? They knew exactly what to say. Their advice made it possible for the Magi, or excuse me, their counsel made it possible for the Magi to find Jesus. And they did not go see it for themselves. And they were the religious leaders of God's people. Church, indifference is the enemy of the gospel. 
Indifference is no better than Herod's response. In fact, in the next generation, it is those religious leaders, not the same people, but the next generation of religious leaders, will be the principal architects of Jesus' execution. And the dilemma of the church in the West and the dilemma of the church in the United States is that it is marked by indifference. It is marked by indifference. So many people claim to follow Jesus and yet our Monday through Friday look no different than our moral neighbors. Studies have been coming out recently about the sheer lack of biblical literacy that God's people have. That God's people don't, we don't know the stories of the Bible. We, and maybe we know them and we don't know what to do with them. They're just stories in a book. The lack of just Reading scripture is dreadful how low that is. Indifference has made the church anemic. It has made the church impotent. It has effectively destroyed our witness. It is a cancer eating us from the inside out. I don't want that for us. I don't want Harbor City Church to be a church that is marked by indifference to the gospel. I want Harbor City Church that is marked by a passion. I want it to be marked for adoration. I want us to be a people that are pursuing a life of discipleship, to follow Jesus, to look like him, to do the kinds of things that he did. And that is why we spend so much time and so much effort on things like Bible studies and Sunday schools and cultural conversations and investing in our teenagers and in our children's ministry. This is our way of fighting against the indifference that is killing the church. But here's the thing, right? All I can do, all that the church can do is we can, make, we can, we can provide these things for you. I have yet to figure out how to force you all there. If I figured it out, I don't know. I might be tempted to employ it. Not because I want to be a mean person, but because I really genuinely believe with all of my heart that this is what we need most. And so church, I'm, it's the last Sunday of the year. It's the last day of the year. I want to cast vision for us for 2024. I want 2024. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I've been praying for through my season of fasting with you. I've been praying that through 2024, that, you know, yes, we, we want God to provide a building. Yes. Honestly, that's not, I mean, that's important. Don't get me wrong, right? But that's not the most important thing to me. What I've been saying to you all along is like, hey, we want to see what God is doing 
through us in this process, right? It is the process, not the outcome, that we are most concerned about. And church, the process is all of us stepping into the life of discipleship. Um, so I'm, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to join the Magi. I'm inviting you to join me. Uh, I'm inviting you to join our Bible study leaders in pursuing Jesus. I'm inviting you to Mark 2024 and say, this is the year where I am going to take intentional steps to grow as a disciple. And, and I don't care if you've been a Christian forever and maybe you've been a, you know, discipled so many, but I don't care, that, 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 right? Because, because none of us, none of us are Jesus. None of us have arrived. None of us are fully there. And I, and I 100% include myself in that. I need to grow as a disciple of Jesus in 2024. And you know what? I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Because I can't do that by myself. None of us can. And so what I'm inviting you to is to join me. Join our leaders. Join the Magi. In the adoration of our King. Will you join us? Let's pray.